Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with local foods educator Nick Frillman about garlic. But before we get to Nick, we have to introduce our co-host with us every single week. Uh, we are, of course, joined by local foods educator Katie Parker. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris. How are things going for you? Ah, no complaints here at all. How are things in Quincy? Oh, it's a rainy day here, but um, we seeded some grass a few weeks ago, and this is perfect, so we don't have to water it. I, I am in the same boat as you, probably literally because there has been a lot of rain, but uh, we put some tall fescue down, and right now there's about like an inch and a half of water on top of it where <laughs> I seeded it, so... Uh. Supposedly, tall fest, you can stand some inundation for a period of time. So we'll see. This is a do test. you have some compaction issues? Uh, <laughs> I, I, would, have... I, would, I would say we have some drainage problems. This is in the <laughs> ditch in front of our house. And, oh, um, gotcha. I even suspect there's a water line leak there underneath, but the city, I won't do anything about it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, someone who I know is uh, probably also putting on his rain boots is horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello. Yes, we've had the rain boots out here. We've had some tornadoes recently in the area. So it's been fun. <clears throat> it's another fall in Illinois. That's right. Yep. We've, so we've started our uh, annual fall great plant migration indoors since it's supposed to be down in the 40s <laughs> this weekend. So Ah, they can take it. One more week. One more week. <laughs> At least we're getting some rain to help wash the plants off. There you exactly. go. I'll, the white fly has really improved, I would say, in the last week or two. So I have not seen nearly the clouds of white fly that were there before. Um, Ken, I have to add, and this might inform our garlic discussion later, but I just spent too much money ordering uh, bulbs for spring bulbs. Um, I got your world peace tulip. Is that what it was? World peace tulip. Uh, and uh, a few others that you had mentioned before. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited. Now I need a bulb auger drill though, so I can get them all in the ground, but I'll say a lot of things were sold out at this point in time. Yeah, we've got a bulb auger and I, I think our soils may have been a little too dry because it did not. <laughs> I almost broke my wrist. Break your <laughs> wrist. They just caught it and just started yanking my arm and stuff. So, can we get workman's comp for that? <laughs> Were you doing it for an extension program? Yeah, and we ordered some more tulips, so we'll have some more to show. I think we're going to do a on the other side of the sidewalk. We're going to do a, a rainbow. Oh, that'll be cool. That's cool. We'll see how that works out. That that sounds nice. Well, today, folks, we are talking garlic. Ken, Katie, are you garlic consumers? Do you eat the garlics? We love garlic at our house. Yeah. We do too. Yeah, I'd almost say who doesn't. My wife has a slight allergy to alliums, but uh, people put garlic in everything. You almost can't escape it. So it's always in something. Um, so to help us navigate this world of garlic, uh, let's welcome our guest for today. We have. Uh, local foods educator Nick Frillman. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, Ken, and Katie. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here on Good Growing. Oh, well, we are excited to have you here. Now, Nick, this is your first time on the show, and so we have to ask a little bit about who are you? Uh, <laughs> tell us a bit about your background and, and where, where are you also? That's another good thing people like to know. 
Yeah, great question. So we'll start geographically. So I'm the local food systems and small farms educator for McLean, as well as Livingston and Woodford County. But the extension office I work at is based here in Bloomington, um, right off the main drag here in town. And uh, in terms of a quick background, I have a degree in political science and Spanish. That was my bachelor's degree at University of Illinois. And uh, I quickly realized towards the end of my bachelor's program that I wanted to stay in school, but that I was in the wrong college at the university. I wanted to work outside more. I was slightly torn between natural resources and organic gardening, uh, crop science, uh, sustainable agroecology, what have you. There are quite a few uh, master's programs spread throughout the United States that all have to do with sustainable agriculture in some way, but Long story short, I read the right books at the right time and met the right people at the right time. And I ended up staying at the University of Illinois, changing colleges, going over to the uh, going over to ACES, the Ag College. And I ended up in the Department of Crop Sciences, where I worked with the agroforestry team headed by Dr. Bruce Branham and my fellow lab mate, Eric Walski. We worked on agroforestry plantings as an alternative landscape and agriculture model for the Midwest. And then slowly but surely, I began to spread over to vegetable production research. And I ended up studying a weed management technique called soil solarization, which is a non-chemical weed control strategy for fall vegetables in the Midwest. Interesting. Well, we'll have to have you back to talk more about solarization because I would love to learn more about that technique. It's something a lot of folks talk about and I don't know if, it, if they always do it effectively, because I think there's a, lot, there's, a lot, there's a lot of steps that might get left out, I think, in some cases. There are, yes. It had yet to be researched uh, effectively in the Corn Belt, according to my advisor and I, uh, at, at the point where we started there. And it was quite an interesting process. So that would be a good future episode. The last thing that I'll say about my background is I applied for this, not this position, but a local foods team position twice before I got this one. And I was turned down for both of them for lack of uh, farm experience amongst other things. And so as a result of that, I ended up doing a full production season at a farmer's market and two CSA market farm in Sandy, Oregon by the name of Slice of Heaven Farm. I helped uh, the farm out and was a vegetable growing apprentice in Oregon last year. It was one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life. and. Uh, I already had the vegetable growing and market garden fruits and vegetable bug, but that just really cemented things. And the last thing I did actually before I left the farm was plant garlic. So <laughs> there's your transition for you. Well, what a perfect transition. I, now I, I will say, Nick, Extension is the place for, for folks like us uh, who love to bounce from topic to topic. And that's, uh, that's, that's where I think a lot of us fit in that role right there. So uh, so, Nick, just one more question uh, in terms of your work in, in Bloomington. Are you connecting with local farmers there? Do you have any programs coming up with folks? Yeah, thanks for asking. So thanks to, uh, first of all, staffing issues and second of all, the pandemic, uh, neither of which anybody can control. Um, there have been a, there have been fewer opportunities, I would say, for a en masse approach to working with farmer groups in the area, but I am thankful to have the opportunity soon to talk to the Central Illinois Young Farmers Coalition group. They have a really awesome 
resourceful Facebook page for information for small farmers in this area. I recently became a member of the Young Farmers Coalition, and I'll be doing a presentation either on the topic of oyster mushroom cultivation to add to the rotation or spring cover crops, whichever one they think will be more useful in the upcoming year. And unfortunately, the date of that meeting is TBD. Typically, they have a end of season, postseason wrap up meeting, November, December, and I'm in talks with them about that. So as soon as we have a fixed date, time and subject, I'll get back to you guys and we can update that information. Excellent. Well, we can post their Facebook link in the description below. That sounds great. Nick, I feel like the last time we had a, like a Zoom meeting, you had mushrooms growing out of your bucket. Am I correct? That is correct. Yeah. So did that, you harvest? That bucket right there on top of my fridge in the video feed, for those of you just listening, um, was, uh, was the culprit in question. And yeah, I did. Um, so yeah, last week was the first harvest of the second inoculation of this bucket. That is to say, I first came upon the oyster growing phenomenon thanks to a couple of farmer, backyard gardener, and homeowner questions that all three within the same month randomly contacted me about, hey, do you know anything about growing oyster mushrooms? And it was very random, but cool. And I asked my boss if I could do some R&D for mushroom growing and it turned out really good there are a lot of reputable companies these days probably quite different from 10 years ago that sell grain spawn sawdust spawn and uh, plug spawn and that's a whole mushrooms is a whole nother uh, episode as well but the answer to your question is yes i did so i think each bucket if you inoculate correctly has about three flushes in it before it becomes before the mycelium becomes exhausted and so for the first flush, that's typically the heaviest of the three. And last week I harvested about five pounds of blue oyster mushrooms off of that bucket right there. And I will say that that was the second half of the grain spawn bag that I ordered in May. And it was quite old and caked up and kind of gross when I broke it up to do this second inoculation. And that five pounds was down from the first flush of the previous bucket I got, which was seven. So it's really vigorous, really cool stuff. We'll have to talk about that again. Alrighty, so we'll finally get to our topic today on garlic. Um, so let's first talk about what we should be what we should be doing right now. What is our planting window in Illinois for people to plant garlic? That is a fantastic question, and yes, it's helpful to get to the to the topic at hand. But that's what our long form podcast thing is for is for bouncing from interesting topic to topic and finally migrating slowly to uh, the issue at hand. So in terms of the planting window for people in Illinois for garlic, uh, I guess I'll back up a little bit and talk about the differences between soft neck and hard neck. I think that that's farther on in the show, but just in order to understand the answer to this question, I wanted to uh, be clear on that subject. So soft neck garlic is typically recommended for USDA zone five to 10. It works better in Southern states, but also some not so North Midwest states as well. So we're right at 5A, 5B in central Illinois. So this is about the Northern border of where I would recommend folks be planting soft neck garlic. It is susceptible to extreme winter freezes. If we get a couple of those polar vortexes, 
although some varieties have better resistance than others. And then the hardneck garlic, uh, that's more friendly for USDA zone 5A and higher. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, I think for this area, we can plant either softneck or hardneck garlic. We'll get into the differences a little bit more in a bit. And then in terms of the planting window, I actually planted some late September, and that's a little bit early, but I want to see what happens. Most people will say all of October into early November is about the latest you want to go with garlic planting in this area. So what about if we don't get our garlic planted this fall? Can we still plant it in the spring? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, and I had to look into this one a little bit. But it turns out that yes, actually you can, and that's called uh, green garlic. I had never heard of this before, but really interesting there. So this is the equivalent of planting scallions uh, instead of letting them bulb up to onions. So if anybody has grown that's listening has grown onions before, you get your onion slips or starts from the nursery or wherever you get them, and you put them in your garden and if you harvest them after about a month maybe month and a half up to eight weeks they'll have gotten that nice tall lanky garlic shoot um, and then it'll be a little thicker at the bottom but we harvest those all the time for making for having green onions otherwise known as scallions and so you can do the same thing with garlic you can plant in the spring as early as the soil will allow you to. So basically, as soon as the soil's workable, as soon as it's somewhat dry, if you've had snow or rain, that would be the time to plant. Uh, but garlic likes moisture, so it can't really be that detrimental if it, the soil's still a little you know, wet from winter. And then that'll be harvested later than your typical garvest, garlic harvest, excuse me. And so at that point, you're looking at probably September. July, August, September, depending on the variety. All right. So say somebody wants to plant some garlic and they haven't bought any. Is there still time or is it too late to get on the garlic train, so to speak? Yeah, excellent question. I would really uh, be sad for people if they couldn't get on, on board the garlic train. So yeah, let's get let's get folks on there. And so I took the liberty of looking up some vendors before this show who still have garlic in stock because it is really competitive. It was competitive before COVID. And now that folks have kind of uh, rediscovered their backyard garden, so to speak, after COVID, uh, the three vendors that I found online right before this show that still have some varieties in stock are Harris Seeds, Garlic Gods, and then Grow Organic. And I'm sure that we can get the links to that in the show notes and folks will be really appreciative of that. And so they're a pretty reputable companies, the three of them. I've known folks that have worked with them before. I've bought from one of them in the past and it's garlic and it grew. So, and, but then the other thing is up until about last week, I was seeing it at our local garden centers and nurseries. And then I happened to be at one of them just a few days ago and where the garlic had been last month is now taken up by spring bulbs for flower gardens. So I think folks might have missed the boat at the local nurseries, although it never hurts to check and support local. And then after that, if they don't find them for cheap at the garden centers, then if you're willing to fork over a couple more dollars for shipping, then you can turn to one of these three companies here. So Nick, you already 
mentioned and, and talked about the difference between hard neck and soft neck garlic. Um, but as someone like a, a, a gardener or a consumer who is buying garlic and they're looking at this plant catalog and they're like, all right, soft neck, hard neck, soft neck, hard neck. Let's say I'm in Southern Illinois. Is, does it matter which one you go with uh, versus if I was in Northern Illinois, we kind of mentioned this already, but just kind of make sure folks know geographically wise, where could we be growing this stuff? Yeah, so geographically, to recap, where we can grow this stuff, Softneck typically does well from USDA zones 5A to B all the way down to USDA zone 10. So that's probably that line of central Illinois extended east and west all the way to the coasts and then all the way down into the southern states. That's where Softneck grows best. North of that, the farther you go, the more that you risk that you could get some loss from extreme winter weather events. That being said, north of our zones that we're in now, hardneck does better because it's more cold hardy. And I want to get into the differences of the two really quick, mm -hmm. just to add some more notes here. So hardneck is known to have typically, but not always, a more pungent flavor. So if you're somebody like me who likes to throw garlic in just about anything that I cook, and I cook a lot, I really like hardneck garlic better. Although just last night I was using softneck and there's not that much of a difference between what I bought at the store. So anyway, besides the more pungent flavor in the hard neck versus less so in the soft neck, there's also the difference of peeling, which for most folks is a big concern. Um, that is that, you know, most folks want less work rather than more. And so hard neck are like, because the cloves are typically a little bit bigger, are easier to peel. So that may appeal to some folks. However, the last note I have on that is the downside is uh, it has a shorter storage potential. So if you're somebody that likes to homestead or likes to be self-sufficient in suburbia or what have you, if you're growing garlic to last you all the way until next year, you probably want to go with Softneck because it has a longer storage life. So that varies from variety to variety. I know folks that have saved both until the next year you may have some loss but those are the different the main differences i would say between the two okay that's i think that's probably why we typically see more soft neck garlic in the grocery stores and things like that just better shelf life yep unfortunately though harder and taking longer to peel that better shelf life is more conducive to trucking it across the country saving mm -hmm. it for months at a time and still having it be viable do you have a, like a favorite variety or uh, is there a recommended variety uh, to grow here in Illinois? That is a great question. I'm super biased because my farm director's favorite garlic, and she's a big garlic head last year, uh, was, and it still is this year. We're still, we obviously still mm -hmm. talk. Uh, the variety is called Music. Yeah, yep. that's a really popular one. Um, it's also, it's popular because it, if you grow it well, it yields well, but it's also popular in that if you don't really know what you're doing and it's your first time, it's pretty dependable. So it's kind of a workhorse variety is what I understand. I will say though, that outside of my experience at the farm last year, I have never actually personally grown garlic myself. I just planted some last month and I'm seeing that it's starting to grow. It's got little green tops on it but I'll have to keep you guys posted with how my backyard garlic experiment goes because it's new for me, sort of, mm -hmm. kind of. Yes, keep us posted. And so I, I agree, music, that's something I've grown like every time I did. I have experimented with a few like the Spanish Rojas 
some of the German porcelains and things like that, but um, I keep coming back to music. <laughs> so, and in terms of recommended varieties, I do believe in our uh, Vegetable Garden Midwest music is one of the ones that are, is listed as one of the top ones for Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Katie and Ken, do you, uh, either of you have a preferred garlic variety you want to share with the listeners? Um, we just kind of usually close our eyes and <laughs> pick something I couldn't tell you what we've grown. <laughs> we just kind of, or we get like the uh, <clears throat> little grab bag and they kind of send you whatever. As long as it's hardy, it doesn't really make much difference to me. It's probably not the best approach to take, but <laughs> that's what I do. Um, so time is precious to me and efficiency is very important. So you know what? I buy the minced garlic at the store because <laughs> that is the best way to go. You should try the garlic paste in a tube sometimes. Oh, really? That is awesome. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. But I did oh, yeah. plant some garlic last year. I don't remember what I planted. Uh, it sprouted up this spring, I think. Um, and I went to dig it and there was nothing there. So I don't oh, know no. what I did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maybe something fed on it for me. I will say that uh, before mine started sprouting, there was about a week and a half there where it hadn't sprouted yet. I was watching it. I was watering it. And I noticed that several bulbs in both rows that I planted of that first variety had been not, not necessarily dug up, but yeah, knocked over adjacent to its planting hole, just so far so that it, it couldn't be explained by being washed out by rain it almost looked like a squirrel or a chipmunk or something had plucked it up moved it an inch or two and dropped it and it was <laughs> completely at random and i stuck them back in to where they should have gone and said to myself did i knock those over with the drip irrigation or how did that happen and so remedied the situation came back monday this past week and it happened again, different mm -hmm. ones this time. So there is something that's, there's something that's messing with it. Uh, there don't seem to be any children from the neighbors in my garden or anything like that. So I suspect foul play by small livestock. We also have a neighborhood cat that likes to dig in our raised bed. So we have an issue with that. There is a maybe cat have nearby. A, I was gonna say maybe. There is a cat nearby, it could be the kitty. All right. Anyway, well, so kind of it's almost Halloween. We're only a few weeks away. I mean, does, Nick, you, have you heard of garlic as being a good vampire deterrent? I have. And uh, I can't say that I've ever experienced any uh, vampires hanging around my neck of the woods, but that's probably because my wife and I and our stepson likely smell like garlic <laughs> to vampires because we eat so much of it. So yeah, we uh, we practice vampire deterrence by a healthy consumption of alliums, not only go. garlic. Well, Ken, do you know, is there act any actual truth in deterring bloodsuckers in the form of mosquitoes by consuming garlic, or is that just another myth? To the best of my knowledge, as far as like, like eating garlic, I don't think mm -hmm. that really does anything uh, for mosquitoes. I think garlic extract may have some repellent. But with like a lot of other botanical type things, you have to constantly reapply it. It's just 
and, and you don't want to smell like garlic. You probably don't want to smell body like garlic wash. <laughs> the only way you deter the mosquitoes, you'll deter everybody else around you. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, Nick. I keep hearing about this elephant garlic. So, is, is this like a category of garlic, or what? What is uh, this giant, seemingly elephant garlic? Yeah. So, elephant garlic, believe it or not, is actually a variety of leek. Is what I recently found out. And my first experience with elephant garlic was this past year, once again, at the farm, we were at a food donation center where we took our vegetable seconds that weren't successfully sold at the market to this garden center who was donating our produce after storing it for us. In turn, he was donating it to the local area. And while that was happening, I happened to glance around and it was about this time of year and I saw a big container of elephant garlic for sale. And I was really excited because I love garlic. So why not bigger garlic <laughs> was my thought. And uh, I asked my boss, Marietta, and she said, yeah, I don't really like that stuff. And I, I wanted to know why. So she said, turns out, even though it's bigger, that the flavor is typically much less pungent than than say music or chesnock red or those hardneck hardy varieties and so yeah that definitely is an impediment to marietta and myself and other folks who like to cook with garlic is we want that really powerful or spicy or sweet depending on the variety garlic flavor and so i guess if you're looking for volume elephant garlic may be the way to go although I've never actually seen it grown. So I know less about this topic. I think it's grown fairly similarly. I've never tried growing it though, so I couldn't say for sure. I Same. Yeah, I haven't tried growing it, but uh, everything I've heard and read about it is that it's almost like you're growing the same kind of crop with that, uh, except it's technically a leak. So, yeah. Yeah, you learn something new every day. That was definitely mm -hmm. a, a new discovery for me recently. So once we have our garlic and we're ready to plant, what do we need to consider for a planting location? Does garlic require full sun? Like what's the different spacings for it? And then can we, is like interplanting an option as well? Yeah, great questions. So yeah, yeah. These are really important questions to consider, especially once you hear this podcast and you catch the garlic bug and you're all rearing to go buy your own garlic and try your own this year. If you happen to have a bunch of trees over your property or you don't have semi-nice soil, um, these are concerning points. So I'll go to the first one, full sun. The more sun, the better for sure. So we have some shade in our yard. I'd say it's about 75% full sun across the span of the year. And I think that's right about where you want to draw the line if you're expecting a good yield. You could probably try it with a little bit less than that, maybe at least 50%. You might get smaller cloves as a result of, or smaller bulbs, excuse me, as a result of less photosynthesis, but never hurts to try. It's usually not that expensive if you can get it at the uh, garden centers. It is a little bit more expensive if you buy it online. So that's a consideration. And then spacing, that's going to relate to the answer to your interplanting question. So I've never seen garlic interplanted, but the typical fruit and vegetable guidelines that I last read were about 12 to 18 inches is what you want between cloves. And then within the row of cloves, you want at least six to eight inches. Ken, correct me if I'm wrong there, but 
what I wanted to say about your interplanting question is that I think you could interplant that with something low nutrient, uh, like, like uh, lettuce, for example, like bib lettuce or green or red crisp, as long as you kept your rows that 18 inches apart instead of that 12 inches apart. I think that there's enough room to intercrop a quick uh, batch of lettuce, especially in the early part of the season before that garlic really starts to get big and develop a leaf that may overshadow or get in the way of your lettuce at some point. So definitely some fun stuff to experiment with there. But then last but not least, the most important part for garlic is the higher the organic matter and the nutritional content, I'll say, for crops of the soil, uh, the better results you're gonna get. So if you could plant that into some high quality organic matter soil, or if you don't have that top dress with a little bit of compost at least two inches before planting, you'll get much better results. Cherry on top would be some slow release organic fertilizer of some kind. All right, and since we're planting, I'm planting our garlic this time of year in the fall. Uh, once we do that, is there anything we need to do? Or is it just kind of put it in, put it in the ground and forget about it? Yeah, great questions. So definitely want to be a little bit vigilant between the time of planting and then ground, for, uh, ground freeze. And so what that means is we're looking at a little bit of weed control. And then if you'd like, especially if you're planting soft neck in our area, let's say, some winter protection might be advisable as well. So that first point, weed control, if anybody has, uh, and maybe you guys can tell me what these things are called, I call them stirrup hose. Other people call them scuffle hose. There's a bunch of other names for these things, and it's kind of hard to describe that shape if you know what I'm talking about. But to me, mm -hmm. yeah, it looks like a stirrup. It's trapezoidal sort of kind of, and it's a hoe that not only Johnny Seed sells, but now a lot of people are selling them at a lot of different garden stores. And so when I plant my rows of garlic, especially when you've got 12 to 18 inches to work with between the rows of garlic, that's quite a bit of space for some weeds to pop up, especially after some good fall rains like we're having today. And so if your garlic is in the ground now and it's been raining like this, you're definitely gonna have little weed germination. And the best, best, best time to kill weeds is when they are small. It never hurts to cultivate, even if you don't see them, especially if the soil is dry and you have the opportunity, because any weed that's thinking about germinating, as soon as they get that little scuffle hoe effect right over their heads, they are no more. That's They're, they're not going to be able to grow. So definitely want to watch out for weeds up to ground being frozen point of the year. And then as soon as the soil's workable in spring, once again, you want to be on the lookout. And you can kind of pull back a little bit on that weed control once the uh, sun really takes over and helps that plant photosynthesize and get bigger and start bulbing up. And then it'll be less susceptible to nutrient competition with its weedy neighbors. And then as far as winter protection goes, this is a little bit uh, beyond the scope of maybe the home gardener, but if any small farmers are listening, then they're probably thinking about locating their metal hoops and their frost netting so that they can put some frost netting over their soft net garlic variety, just to make sure that in case we have those polar vortex days over the winter, we can get a couple extra degrees of protection over that soft neck and hopefully overwinter it successfully. I did have one question for you all before we moved on to the next topic. Uh, I didn't actually, I did not research this one beforehand, but I've seen some varieties described as porcelain garlics, others described as rocambols. I think I'm saying that right. 
And so I wanted to know what those terms mean in, in terms of garlic variety descriptions. I don't get it. Can somebody help me? Is that a description of the color or the most the, the highlights of the garlic? Um, the different, sometimes you can get garlic with the purple stripes, striping in it. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. The porcelain type um, to me would be more the white garlic. Um, the, yeah, the, this, that smooth white skin of that garlic. You know, Ken, Katie? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So that would just describe like the appearance. What does rocambole mean though? I have to look, I'll look it up later. It's okay. <laughs> uh, we need a, we need a glossary. We need a terms definition here. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, how is that Nick, even... I... oh, go ahead. Yeah, how do you spell that? That's a great question. I believe it's spelled O, sorry, R-O-C-A-M-B-O-L-E, Rocambole, I think. Purple striping and splotches is what I found. Get the gold star, Chris. Yes. All right. I'll go tell my boss I'm going home. <laughs> well, um, Nick, before the show, we were kind of talking about, we were looking at different types of garlic. Um, I remember I held up these two things and one is the seed stock that I ordered from the farm, like the company. The other is what I grew this year. You can tell a difference in size. These are the same variety, both music. Um, yeah, we had talked about, you had mentioned like a slow release fertilizer, maybe a planting, but what about in springtime? I've never fertilized garlic and maybe this is why I'm getting smaller bulbs that, that, that I've grown, which is what I have here in my right hand. Um, do I need to fertilize in the spring? I mean, I, again, I never have. Is that like a, a common practice though, to get me some big garlic? Yeah, I would say from my limited cultivation experience with garlic that we got pretty decent size at Slice of Heaven Farm last year. And I checked in on the harvest before this show actually. And, and this year was a fantastic year for garlic over in Oregon, especially even west of the, of the Cascades. As some people might know, that that's the typically green and lush part of Oregon that everybody thinks of when they think of the state of Oregon. And even they start to get really dry after the 4th of July. And that is a typical year. And this year turned out to be a little bit more than typical. And it didn't rain from like the end of May until, yeah, the rain stopped a lot earlier than it usually stops. And so for garlic, as long as your irrigation is good, they do like moist soil, but then the combination of good irrigation and then powerful sunlight all season, especially with some slow release fertilizer, got them exactly what they wanted in, a, in terms of a big garlic harvest. And at planting, they incorporate, not only uh, do they plant into compost, but they incorporate, I think, a 444 pelletized chicken manure uh, organic fertilizer into the compost before or actually maybe underneath uh, before they plant and so that's your slow release for fall winter and then it'll that source of nutrient will probably peter out right about uh, after the first of the year and then it definitely is best practices if you want big garlic to fertilize once at least once more and that could be done either before bulbing occurs to give that plant the extra nutrition and energy it needs to initiate that bulbing process earlier and then it can take advantage of 
uh, more growth that way. Or I've also known some people to do the second fertilization after the bulbing process. I didn't check out my notes in the uh, Midwest fruit and vegetable growers guide though. So that probably has the best answer. But I, yeah, like I said, I have known people to fertilize after bulb development and they seem to have pretty good results. So then next June, the garlic will most likely form a scape, which is often recommended to be removed. What happens if someone doesn't remove that scape? Yeah, interesting question because I had never heard of somebody not removing the scapes of the garlic that they grow. And the reason I think that I've never heard of someone leaving the scapes on is because they are delicious. So why would you leave that on the plant? And uh, for those that know, you know what we're talking about. But for those that don't, welcome to the club. You're now privy to a wonderful piece of information. That being not only is basil a delicious pesto uh, crop, but uh, turns out garlic scapes make some pretty seriously awesome garlic scape pesto. Same recipe I use between my basil and my garlic scapes and it, it turns out uh, wonderfully spicy and sweet and flavorful every year. And so, but the answer to your question is interesting and I had to look this one up. Um, if you leave your scapes on the garlic, um, I think that what that will lead to is smaller bulbs can lead to smaller bulbs because that plant is trying to maintain its uh, flower and then trying to turn those flowers into seeds for next year's crop. Garlic is a biennial, so that's how it will reproduce that way. Um, that being said, I did see some conflicting information about that online and also saw folks that said they always leave their scapes on. They didn't know to cut them off and they didn't seem to suffer any depreciation in bulb size. So I think it depends on the variety, but I'd be interested to hear what Ken or uh, Chris have to say on that subject. I usually remove ours. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if every once in a while you kind of miss one um, and they form like little bulbils on there, like basically little mini cloves that you could then plant. But then, like you said, it'd be a couple of years before you get anything off of those. I've actually had a few garlic scapes escape my... Uh, <laughs> fingernails or you know pruning shears whatever i'm using to clip them off there and the little bull bills that fall onto the ground there's now a little carpeting of garlic <laughs> right there um but i have most definitely when i pull up the ones where i you know the i miss the scape versus the ones where i do trim off the scape definitely a size difference at least in my soils so i um yeah if you leave them on i i notice that a definite reduction in, in size and um i mean it's like a size of a single clove almost is what i'll pull out of the ground where the scapes are left on and uh it, wendy our producer even said in the chat uh turn those scapes into some garlic pesto it's delicious exactly yep good call wendy and uh, for those of you who have never tried give it a go next year and come back and post your comment on this on this podcast a year later or whatever oh yeah i harvest mine every year but i've never done anything with them they sit in the refrigerator and then go bad and oh end up in the compost throw them in some scrambled eggs cheesy scrambled eggs it's delicious it's on my list of things to do for next year the, the ever-growing list all right so when do we get to the point of harvesting garlic how do we know when it is ready to harvest yeah, I had to learn that myself last year, and garlic is 
easily identified as ready to harvest when their leaves, their, their sheath, whatever you want to call it, start to turn yellow and start to fall over a little bit. So it doesn't take a whole field of your garlic going from nice upright and green to yellow and sideways. As soon as about half that stand has started to turn color, a couple of them have started to fall sideways to the ground a little bit. If they're, if they're already laying on the ground, you've probably waited too long. As soon as they're yellow, as soon as they're not actively getting bigger anymore, um, those, are, those are pretty good indicators, especially the color, especially the position of the leaves. And so, yeah, that was what we went by last year. Basically, as soon as 50% of our crop was yellowish and not straight up and super happy looking, we started yanking it out of the ground. And I can say for some of mine where I've waited too long to harvest that, that cloves kind of starts breaking apart. It's, you don't get that nice clove you get in the grocery store where it's all together, like Chris is showing. And sometimes uh, there'd be individual cloves that get left behind in the ground. You have to dig all those out and it becomes kind of a nightmare. Yeah, it seems safe to say that you should err on the side of a little bit too early rather than too late, lest you get some rotten garlic tops or broken up cloves or what have you. I think most of the bulbing of the garlic is done by about June. And that last month is just the you know last couple percentage points of growth, the finishing touches, shall we say. Um, of course, you wouldn't probably want to harvest that early, but you know, as soon as you start seeing that color change, start thinking about when you can fit that into your schedule. All right. So then after you've harvested, can, can we use that garlic right away or do we need to do anything first? Yeah, I have used fresh garlic and it is delicious. And I know many farmers that grow garlic that uh, treat that first fresh bulb as uh, sacrosanct in, in their year and really make a, a ceremony out of the whole thing. And so that being said, you can use it right away, but if you are trying to sell that for the next several months, as most of our farmers around here are, then you have to cure it. And so the curing process is something like tying the, <laughs> last year we tied many, many heads of garlic together, not in a braid, um, although you could, but uh, we tied them together such that we could sling them over the support beam of the barn and they could hang underneath our, our covered barn and just air dry. Uh, we were talking earlier before the show and uh, Ken said, or it could have been Chris, I can't remember now, one of you two said that you just harvest your garlic and put it in the garage and knock some of the dirt off and let it sit out on a shelf and that about a month later, um, it's relatively dried down and, and ready to store. But regardless, there, there is a, a necessity of drying that needs, needs to occur. Um, so whether or not you use some uh, like a heated fan or regular air blown fan or, or let it dry naturally in your barn, it's up to you, but it does require a curing process. Yeah, we've, I think Ken, both you and I, we, we just throw in the garage and um, for our food donation garden here in Macomb, we have uh, cattle barns here for the fairgrounds that we put them on screens and dry them and yeah, just keep them out of the sun. That's the biggest thing I could recommend. Okay, let's talk a little bit about how we use garlic. Now, I will say I've used it in many different ways. Of course, we mince it up, we smash it up, we do this. Recently, I've just been kind of like whacking a clove on the counter and just throwing it in the pan. And I just let it cook 
with all the other whatever it is I'm like meats or like a veggie or a stir fry or something. Um, and then sometimes I even let it get really blackened and like, oh, it's so good. Um, but I, I'm wondering, so uh, Nick, what is your favorite way to use garlic? Gosh, such a difficult question. I was not prepared for this one. <laughs> I think this was thrown in late. It only, was, it was. It's only, only difficult because uh, I, I like to use it so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so I cook a lot of Italian food. I also cook a lot of Asian cuisine. And in both of those, there is a uh, decent to, oh my God, level of garlic in, in both of those. And so I definitely can see your point about smashing the garlic and tossing it in just for ease of ease of use, shall we say, but I'm def definitely a, a mincer, a slicer. So I just, yeah, I smash it. I hit it really hard with the side of my knife just to get that peel off and it comes right off. There's no messing with it with your fingernails, no matter if it's soft neck or hard neck, usually comes right off. Hard neck does come right off a little easier, but so to, soft neck is all right. And then, yeah, chop it up into little pieces. And I almost always start every meal with a mirepoix of some kind. So celery, green pepper, onions, garlic, celery, onions, garlic, celery, garlic, blah, blah, blah. So you get the picture with eggplant or tomato. It's never a bad call. Um, so I, I put it in pretty much anything I, I cook. But then the other thing that I wanted to share is I heard this anecdotally from a Spanish teacher in my bachelor's program, but it's, it's really cool. So she was Puerto Rican and she said that her grandma would make a tea of two cloves of garlic, a half an onion, uh, a half or a whole lime and a spoonful or two spoonfuls of honey. And she would make that tea when her uh, grandkids were sick. And so the Spanish teacher was relating to me how um, unfortunately uh, she can't drink that tea anymore because it's associated in her head with being sick. But she said when she was a kid and she would drink her grandma's, you know, homebrew uh, cold remedy tea that it would cure it within a few days. So I'm no health expert and that's a, you know, large anecdote, but I have tried it myself multiple times when I've had a cold or a small virus or what have you. And it does seem to at least really help with the sore throat and some of the symptoms. I've even thought that it reduced the life of a cold compared to some of my roommates that caught it at the same time. So Next time you're feeling under the weather, garlic, onion, lime, honey, all those things are good for you on a normal day anyway, but try a cup of tea and see what you think and send me an email. I just take cloves and I just chop on them like a, <laughs> like a pill. Like, <laughs> Ken, Katie, or, uh, Katie, do you have a, a particular method you like to use garlic? You mentioned the uh, in, in the can, the mince can stuff. Do you... Yeah, I mean, I just buy it from the grocery store, typically already pre-minced, pre uh, and mm -hmm. it's super handy. Just add a couple tablespoons to everything, whether we're just like browning meat or uh, like Nick said, we like to make a lot of like um, Thai Asian dishes. And so it's always a nice addition for that. But I'm yeah, we, that. We, love, we love garlic. Try that garlic in a tube. Change your world. <laughs> I've been seeing too, like with uh, TikTok, where people will just roast a big thing of garlic and it just looks delicious. Like, oh my it's gosh, so I can't imagine what it smells like in their house, too. It smells wonderful. Mm -hmm.
Ken, how do you use garlic? Um, whenever the recipe calls for it. <laughs> <laughs> like when we make, you know, we grow base tomatoes and stuff. So when we make our spaghetti sauce, we'll use kind of the, the goal is basically everything that goes into our spaghetti sauce we've grown. That's kind of our, our goal. And we can tell our kids, hey, you grew all of this. So eat it. Be quiet. Stop complaining. Stop. Stop complaining. <laughs> and I took that approach this year and we made our own pasta sauce. And I was informed by my stepson that I put too much red pepper flake in it and he won't oh. and he won't touch it now even though oh, he no. goes to the even though he goes to the mexican uh restaurant down the street with me and eats their really hot salsa with me which mm -hmm. is objectively spicier than the pasta sauce far and away he says that the pasta sauce is too spicy so i tried that be quiet and eat it thing and it didn't work <laughs> it, it doesn't <laughs> work for me either but <laughs> That's anyway. what it's, it's what we think in our brains, at least. Yes. I, so speaking of recipes calling for stuff, um, I just came across a recipe about, and they asked for black garlic. What is that? What's black garlic? I'm Googling the answer to your question right now because I don't know. <laughs> it was it was delicious, um, and it was it was like the paper white uh, husk or the the paper. And then you open it up and it is black, like it has been, um, I don't know, fermented or uh, uh, like, I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I'm like, this is really cool. And then you just kind of like smash it and throw it in whatever it is you're making. Where did so you find it? So it was one of those home kit, oh, home yeah. meal kit delivery services where they, they like send you, you know, so this this particular one was like these like artisanal ingredients. They <laughs> <laughs> was really good send though. it with the meal, otherwise we'd never find it. Exactly, not in Macomb at least. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so based on my research, <laughs> five seconds ago, um, <laughs> it looks like black garlic is white garlic that has been aged for a while at a specific temperature between 140 degrees and 190 degrees Fahrenheit um, with a high humidity atmosphere to effectively create the Maillard reaction within the bulb. And it, yeah, effectively sort of ferments, sort of ages at a high temperature and turns into something with more, not less nutrients. During the aging process, the clove undergoes the Maillard reaction, says this article, as the heat creates changes in amino acids and sugars in the garlic. This reaction is what gives black garlic its rich, tangy, molasses-like flavor and black color. Well, interesting. Well, I'm glad that I just wasn't eating rotten garlic. At no. least there was some, some work and science that went into this. Yep, so the same reaction that goes into browning of meats seems to be at work in our friend, the black garlic. Interesting. I'll have to start making my own black garlic. I know. I'm thinking the same thing right now, mm -hmm. but I need another hobby like I need a hole in the head. So That's right. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> okay. So for our last question, say we're back to our, our fall time frame. Can we save garlic for replanting? And how would you select it? planting yeah very important question especially for those of us like myself and ken it sounds like and chris as well who like to grow their own i will say that uh this year because i 
acquired both uh, sets of garlic online and because of higher shipping costs and stuff due to the pandemic, that it was a little bit more money than I wanted to pay for a pound of garlic. Um, that being said, what you buy, as Chris has shown us on the video feed, is super high quality if you go that route. So you pay for, uh, you get what you pay for is what is uh, the old saying, but if you really don't want to do that, then you should save your garlic, especially if your uh, garlic crop turned out well that year and you did everything right and you're thinking you're going to do it next year. Maybe if you if you harvested and cured and braided and processed and then you're like, whoa, this is way too much work for me. Maybe just eat it all. But if you're thinking about doing it again next year, yes, you should save some just to save some money. Why not? And then in terms of selecting which ones to save, that one seems to be pretty straightforward to me and that approach would be save the biggest ones first that's step one so go through maybe age cure process so you to to the point where you have what chris has in his hand that big seed stock music garlic there it is again there's his and so once you have that uh bulb that's been kind of sloofed off around the edges gotten the soil off of it and clipped and you can look at all of them on a table. Pick the biggest ones, that's step one. And then step two, you wanna save those obviously till it's planting time next year. And then at that point, before planting, you wanna go through those garlic bulbs and make sure that none of them have mold, none of them are rotten. And then obviously you don't wanna plant anything that's partially contaminated. In addition to the fact that it's not gonna give you any garlic, you could also mess with the stuff that did save. And so, Biggest is the first part of saving, I would say. And then uh, and maybe especially the ones that held their shape, even if you harvested late, that's another factor. And then finally, ones that didn't rot in storage. Don't You don't want to plant rotten garlic. Definitely not. There's not much that affects garlic, but root rot is one of them. So yeah, don't, don't get them started off on a, the wrong foot. That was a lot of great information. And Nick, it was a great time having you here to chat garlic. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you. I have not eaten lunch today, and that was a horrible mistake. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now you're just, uh, you were talking about mirepoix, and then we started talking about, oh, we got into food at the end. I'm sorry. I didn't. I'll or I will DoorDash you something here real quick. <laughs> so, but Nick Frillman, local foods educator. And uh, Bloomington Normal area. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And it was a treat to talk to you all. And I'm looking forward to being on again next time. Excellent, excellent. Well, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson. And this week, edited by me, Chris Enroth. Thank you so much to our co-hosts with us every single week, Katie Parker and Ken Johnson. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Nick, for joining us. You have provided us with a lot of great information. And Chris and Ken, it's always great to see you guys. Yes, thank you, Nick. Learned a lot. Chris and Katie, nice talking to you again. Let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We're going to be talking pawpaws all about that tropical native tree fruit. Oh, yeah, it's tropical, but it grows here. It's a native tree. Um, so that is going to be an exciting episode. Well, listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching and as always, keep on growing.